All right, what's up, guys? Welcome to Pork Fest. Uh, here, Free State Live podcast. I'm here with Tom Mannion, yeah. state representative and free stater and veteran. Um, my name's Derek Prue. I'm a native to the state of New Hampshire, veteran of the New Hampshire Army National Guard, and wear a whole bunch of hats doing political activism. Um, Tom and I, um, we met just, you know, doing free state stuff, doing activist stuff together. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, I think we're yeah 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 yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, I can't. So I'm not a native. I did. Mo- I was a mover in 2020. Um, uh, lockdowns did it for me. I was kind of one of those guys that was just like sitting in Massachusetts and kept kicking the can where I was like, oh, I'll move someday. You know, like uh, I know I'm moving to New Hampshire. I swear to God, I'm moving to New Hampshire. Uh, you know, and then a, a two-year plan became four-year plan, came like seven-year plan, honestly. And then lockdowns hit and. That was it. That was the the spark that got me here, and not only here, but decide made me decide to run for uh, the state legislature to make sure that the lockdowns could never happen again. So, well, thank you for coming. Yeah, I, I always say, you know, I'm forever grateful for the Free State Project for choosing my home of New Hampshire, and forever grateful for all the Free Staters who move here. Mm-hmm. Um, just made my life that much easier. I don't have to move anywhere. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, the saying is is the uh, the smart libertarians move to New Hampshire and the lucky ones are born here. Yeah. So I'm, I'm grateful that I'm lucky and, and thank you for being smart, oh, yeah. Tom. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you're in the Marine Corps, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's actually so that's uh, actually how I figured out I was a libertarian. It's one of those things like I didn't really have a political affiliation. So, uh, you know, I, I joined uh, kind of right out of high school. Right. So like in high school, I was kind of aimless, didn't know what I was going to do. I was like, oh, maybe I'll do like video games or software or whatever. Uh, and then 9-11 hit well, like my sophomore year. Um, and I was like one of those guys. I was just like, like, you know, everybody was like shocked. Like, holy crap. How do I go? Like, I want to do something about this immediately. I'm one of those guys like a, a tragedy occurs and I want to go do something about it. Um, So I like, you know, that following summer, like I was, you know, going to like air shows and all the patriotic rah-rah stuff like, and we're all about it right at the time. Um, a recruiter snatched me up and he was like, Oh, I'll put you in the delayed entry program. So I was like, you know, I guess you can call it grooming. Some would say (laughs) it's in high school and the recruiters like the, you know, I'm 16, 17. They have, I have to have my parents sign off on the form to agree that I'm going to go to this delayed entry program. Uh, I have like a boot camp date that's like set out two years in the future. Um, and, you know, before I know it, it's like I, I enlisted to go find bin Laden, right? Like, oh, bin Laden's the bad guy. He's in Afghanistan. I was like, oh, that's where I'm going to go do. Uh, you know, fast forward uh, 2005, I find myself on my first deployment in Iraq. Uh, and I wasn't a political junkie. I didn't really follow the news that much. I understood that we were in Iraq, but it like in my brain, I was like, oh, uh, that Gulf War thing, that was over in like a week, you know, like we had, you know, bombed the crap out of Saddam. He, you know, stopped doing whatever the hell he was doing. And, uh, you know, we pulled right out of there, but that's not the, not what we were doing. So like, I find myself in Iraq, not really sure why I'm there. Uh, we're at like the Syrian border. I was doing like, you know, door to door clearing missions. That was like our whole thing. Um, it, it was messed up because like there's a lot of like you, you look at these things like the, the the police with like no knock raids in the united states are doing these things they just like bust in on like these unsuspecting people now imagine that like across the entire city like an entire city like it, with like thousands and thousands of marines just door kicking in and there's just like terrified families in there and it's just you know like i don't i understand why that area of the world like looks you know upon us poorly um so when i got home 
Uh, and I went, started going to school on the GI Bill after I went to two deployments. Uh, but in 2008, I went to school on the GI Bill and I started like researching presidential candidates because I wanted to get more involved. You know, like the 2008 election was coming up and I had missed the, the boat on the like the Ron Paul um, revolution because, you know, the first one. Um, the primaries were over, the candidates were set. And so I'm like, but I'm reading about this guy, Ron Paul, like he was one of the few people to question like the Iraq war when it was unpopular for his party at, at the time, right? Like the, the Republicans were all in on this weapons of mass destruction and then half, you know, over half the Dems are all, all in this weapons of mass destruction narrative. Um, and they, you know, they call him a traitor and a, a terrorist sympathizer and all that stuff. And like, that's how I became a libertarian. That's how I would describe it. It's, it's strictly from an anti-war perspective. That's how it started. Uh, and then it's like all these other things, like all these victimless crimes, like, oh, I agree. Like people should not be going to jail for you know marijuana or whatever. It's like this is this is absurd. And like, uh, thankfully, the culture over the last like you know 10, 15 years since then, like the the marijuana things, like it's legal in a lot of places. Not here. We're trying. I swear to God, we're trying. We'll get, we'll get it. But, yeah. I, I mean, my my road to to liberty was through the military as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I joined at 17, too, right? <laughs> I mean... The grooming us, man. Yeah, grooming, I guess, maybe. Um, joined, joined at 17. Um, definitely, like, massive sense of patriotism. We're going to go fight the bad guys. Um, rah, rah. Mm-hmm. Um, all great, good intentions, right? Um, I was kind of grew up just, you know, very typical conservative... I don't know, didn't really have too much of a perspective on foreign policy. Mm-hmm. I didn't know why some people thought Bush was a bad guy. I was a Trump supporter. Um, and then in, uh, in 2019, um, I was in Eastern Europe. I never went on combat deployments, but, um, you know, we did do a stint in Eastern Europe, Slovenia, Hungary, and Romania. And we were in Hungary, and I was artillery. And rocket artillery, the HIMARS, those things that we just sent a boatload to Ukraine. And um, it's a three-man crew, and basically we kind of, like, live in those things um, for, for days or perhaps weeks. And military, we do this thing called hurry up and wait, where it's, like, maybe hours or days waiting for something to happen. And then, you know, big order comes down the pipeline. Everyone's got to rush around and get stuff done. And then you go back to waiting again so we're doing that hurry up and wait stuff um just scrolling through social media waiting for that comms alarm to go off for a fire mission to come down and um i came across a story from uh the intercept um it was the drone papers talking about daniel hale the whistleblower airman daniel hale um and it said 90% of drone strikes were on innocent civilians. The un- wrong target. Yeah, yeah, wrong target. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, being Collateral our- damage, they call it. Right, yeah, yeah. collateral. Mm-hmm. Um, 90% collateral. Um, being artillery, I would be... I mean, we're getting a lot of the same intel, drone pilots, you know, artillery. Um, Ford observers are sending that back and forth between between drone pilots and, and just general mm-hmm. artillerymen. Um and so that like deeply bothered me you know being artillery being the guy who presses that button and sends a rocket down range mm-hmm. and being told that 90 percent of the time i'm going to be killing an innocent person you know i i joined the military to to protect the innocent right mm-hmm. to protect the innocent defenseless go get the good the bad guys yeah. um and 
You know, it's uh, if you've seen that skit, it's like Hans, are we the baddies? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it kind of was like that moment. I was like, whoa. Um, so I started, you know, digging deep into you know the whole reasons why we were over there, some of the bad stuff, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. the, the the midnight knock, uh, no yep. knock raids, pulling these people out of their beds, yep. um, terrified people, and, and especially like going to like the culture of the Middle East. You know, it's a very high honor society. Yep. And we're pulling these people in the middle of the night, right in front of their wives. And mm-hmm. I mean. I don't think I would be happy. I mean, there's, no. there was like a, a really good Ron Paul commercial that I saw. Um, and, and like, I was too young for, for the Ron Paul days. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always remember seeing that commercial. I was like, what if there was a, a Chinese or Russian base in the middle of Texas? Yeah. And, you know, same stuff that we were doing overseas. But yep. yeah, that's what we were doing. And it kind of made sense, like, why these people were, were aggressive with us. Um, and especially, you know, these people in the Middle East live in abject poverty. Mm-hmm. Most of them don't know how to read and write. They don't know what a New York City is or 9-11 is. Yeah. Um, and we're just going over there and doing all this stuff to them. Um, we were, we were, I mean, kind of creating our own enemies by doing that. Yeah. Um, so just re- just reading into that stuff, came across uh, you know, a little bit of Ron Paul, a little bit of Scott Horton. Um, and then really that 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 final push over that hill into libertarianism for me um was covid um and just especially being in the military um and and in the national guard because the national guard were were full-time activated for a year and a half Mm. to go take care of the the covid crisis um and then of course the, the vaccine mandates came around and um being, being told that I would be essentially a felon. I was, you know, if you don't get the shot, you're getting a dishonorable discharge. Yeah. I already, I already... Like, people, like, you yeah. hear that in media and stuff like that, that's a real big big yeah. deal. That follows you around forever. Yeah. Like, you, you can't have a firearm if you have a dishonorable. It's yeah. almost like a felony charge. Yeah. And, um... Yeah, I already had my 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 doubts about about the vaccine and just having that come down and knowing that my government was lying to me not only in this current crisis but in the previous crisis the, the, the wars in the Middle East yep. and terrorism. It makes you wonder uh, how far back they've been lying. Yeah, about yeah, exactly, exactly, and. Um, just sent me right over that cliff straight into the free state project <laughs> you know living it being born in new hampshire um i had always known about the free state project i actually grew up in bristol which is about two towns over from grafton you know the whole freetown project mm-hmm. libertarian walks into a bear yeah. all that nonsense you didn't get mauled by any bears or anything? I, I don't think so no. <laughs> um but i wasn't libertarian at the time so oh I mean, that that's true yeah yeah, yeah. You um, and uh, i i knew about the free state project the only thing that I knew is that it was a migration movement to come to New Hampshire, and I was like, great, more mass holes coming. <laughs> like me. <laughs> yeah, like you. <laughs> I was like, great, more more people from out of state yeah. coming to New Hampshire to change our state. Mm. Um, and then, of course, once I took that deep dive into liberty, mm. I found out that the free staters were actually the reinforcements mm. to protect us from the mass holes. Um, yeah. <laughs> to counterbalance the yeah. shift. You know? Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think it's great. Um, so, you know, and like you were saying, like, you know, saw something was going on, you had to get involved and help yeah. out. That, that's like a personal philosophy of mine was... Um, I don't have a right to complain about something yeah. unless I'm willing to do something about it. And just seeing, 
just seeing the lies coming from government, um, the destruction that we're causing, not only in the United States, but across the world, um, just deeply unhappy with the current state of of our government, um, the COVID crisis, the way everything was going with that, um, had to get involved, and, you know, now um, I, I would call free staters family like the whole free state project has become like a big family to me um don't always agree with all your family members that's yeah, for that sure happens, but but i think like we're all on the same mission yeah. liberty in our lifetime um that thing um and you know free state project we're all getting together also we're here at pork fest mm-hmm. it, which i call family reunion time so <laughs> we're all getting together hanging out drinking beers um telling shitty jokes and um you know watching really intelligent speakers yeah. um like the guy who helped me become a libertarian scott horton oh yeah um you know we just came from a, a Matt Kibbe um, talking about socialism and wine and, you know, um, some of the things going on in Georgia, which um, Scott Horn also was talking about because of our interventions in Georgia. So, you know, it's all connected into a circle. It's like we wonder, like our foreign policy is like we wonder why all these areas of the world hate us. And like that whole like Bush regime of George W. too, where he's just like, oh, they hate us because of our freedom. And it's just like Ron Paul is one of those guys that like was crucified by even like Fox News and stuff for questioning. It's like no, no, 9-11 happened for a reason. And we probably, like, what they did was awful, but it wasn't unprovoked. Like, we saw this coming, and it was completely, like, we screwed around and we found out, you know? Like, and and it's, it's awful that it happened, obviously, but it's just one of those things, like, Ron Paul was just crucified for speaking what we knew is true. Like, what we know is true now. And we're seeing, like, we're still doing the same thing, even to this day, like... It's like the Ukraine war is going to be the same thing. We're antagonizing, like, China with Taiwan. It's the same thing there. Like, Syria. We still have, like, we still have bases in Syria guarding oil fields that, you know, for large oil companies. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. It it, 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 it is ridiculous. It's crazy. The the lies and how backwards everything is. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, part of my research into figuring out and, and into my my exploration into liberty, you know, coming to find out, right, everyone's like, Al-Qaeda's the bad guys. We're going to go get Al-Qaeda, right? Bin Laden's part of this Al-Qaeda group. We're going to go fight Al-Qaeda. Um, turns out Al-Qaeda's like our allies in a few different countries <laughs> yeah. that, we're, that we're fighting in, right? Um, Al-Qaeda groups are our allies in Syria that we're using to fight against the um, uh, Al-Assad um Regime and and Yemen um, with the the Saudi war against the the Houthis. Yeah. Um, we use Al Qaeda groups in Libya. Um, to get Gaddafi. Yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy. Yeah. And then like one of the the movies that I was like, I don't know, maybe a little. It was like one of those movies that always got me, like in the feels, was Black Hawk Down. Oh yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in Mogadishu. Yeah. I I constantly watched that movie and I was like, wow, what hell on earth type thing and for what for yeah exactly for what and what and we're still there we're still there that was 93 it's 2023 that's 30 years of intermittent conflict in somalia it's crazy still drone striking yeah probably the wrong targets nine times out of ten probably the wrong targets so actually that uh so you were mentioning earlier about like uh 
your guard service. Like we should probably segue into the defend the guard stuff, right? So you were mentioning yeah, the t-shirt defend the guard. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> when I was in uh, on my first deployment, uh, Katrina hit. I was it was 2005, fall 2005. Katrina hits New Orleans. Uh, one of the guys in my uh, squad, it was a he was from New Orleans and uh, he was raised by his grandmother. There's a rule in the military thing where like they won't let you home for unless it's like a death of a like a direct re- relative, like a mother or father or brother sister or child a grandmother or something like that even if it's an emergency they're not going to send you home from your combat deployment i'm sure if you begged and maybe got a hold of your congressman they would let you do it but i mean what we ended up doing is we let let this guy borrow the sat phone that we had which was like our lifeline back home just you know keeping in touch with our family and uh we we let him borrow it because like his grandmother raised him and she was in new orleans and she's like you know stranded so he was calling his neighbors to get her out of the town and you know come to find out like years later i find out that the new orleans national guard was not there during katrina because they were in iraq building dams and they just were not available like they had to i know and then afterwards i was hearing about uh because like active duty marine guys infantry battalions were being sent from camp lejeune north carolina down to do like humanitarian efforts down in uh, new orleans this is not the job of an infantry battalion i've heard like dark stories where like they you know they were clearing buildings and stuff like that and they, they were i think they did a temporary gun confiscation stuff like that yeah. because the, the marine ba- guys that you're sending down there are trained to do like a, a city clearing like i was doing they're not there to do like community aid that's not what they're there for that's not what they're trained for so yeah so so yeah the, the defend the guard thing which what it's like a um i guess i just roll through the history of this yeah I guess. yeah yeah um, so um, you know, I, I met, um, came across uh, Sergeant Dan McKnight. He was active Marine, then switched over to active Army, and then he was Idaho Army National Guard. And um, he had to lead a convoy to Katrina, mm-hmm. uh, to Louisiana for Katrina relief. And when he got there, he also noticed the Louisiana Guard was missing, <laughs> um, which which comes into, like, really huge problems. Because, you know, guard guardsmen, like, there aren't, like, this, like, thing that's you know, away from the public view. Like, mm-hmm. guardsmen are citizen soldiers. They're part of the community. They're your firefighters, police, um, nurses, doctors, mm-hmm. teachers, um, and just regular people that, that just, you know, part part of the community. Um, and they know the community best. Mm-hmm. And when they're not there, especially for a crisis like Katrina, yeah. um, that's where you get people getting a little, little froggy and start doing, like, the, the gun confiscations. Because yeah. that's what they're trained to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As opposed to a Louisiana National Guardsmen. They know their neighbors. They they know they know mm-hmm. the culture of the environment. Yep. Um, they're able to de-escalate probably a lot better than anyone else who's like going to this thing and maybe feeling a little yep. bit that they're in. Uh, it's almost uncom- like a foreign uncom- deployment, yeah, yeah, right? Exactly. There's, there's, there's like boys from Ohio and stuff like that are stationed in Camp Lejeune are being shipped down to Louisiana, and they're they're in the mindset of like I'm going to a city, like I'm going to Baghdad or I'm going to like uh, Fallujah, and you know they're now in New Orleans and they're like wait I got to completely switch my brain from that I just got back from 29 Palms doing like combat mount training like a uh, missions oriented and urban terrain training it's like yeah, but oh no no now we got to do this this uh, uh rescue mission because there's no national guard available yeah exactly yeah. exactly uh, i mean like you said going to a foreign country like th- even s- like florida is like almost a completely different place th- than 
New York City, right? Completely different culture, different climates, every uh, the whole nine yards. Um, Texas is, is completely different place than California. Even states right next to each other, New Hampshire and Massachusetts. <laughs> it seems like you're going into a different country sometimes. The culture is so different. The, the rules are so different. Um, the way that people conduct themselves are so different. Um, so, yeah, when you've got these guys who are essentially going into a different country yeah. after they just go through all these combat training programs, yeah. um, of course they're going to get a little froggy. Yeah. And, and so the people that would have been best to handle that situation, they weren't there. Yeah. And the motto of the guard is always ready, always there. Yeah. And guess who wasn't there? Yeah. Um, so that... So Dan McKnight, he did that convoy down there, and um, that got the, the cogs in, in his brain turning, and he was like, you know, troops shouldn't be overseas for the reasons that we said. Yeah. Bunch of lies, and especially our National Guard shouldn't be over there. Um, so he, he started an organization, Bring Our Troops Home, and he wanted to go to D.C. Um, and lobby every member of Congress um, and ask them to, to bring our troops home. Um, he got laughed at pretty much the whole way through. Um, Liz Cheney told him, we're never leaving Afghanistan. We'll be there forever. Um, so just like hitting that brick wall, pretty much getting laughed at by all of Congress. Um, you have to start thinking outside the box since that's where he came up with Defend the Guard. Um, and so Defend the Guard would prevent the state's National Guard passed at the state level, prevent the state's National Guard from being deployed to overseas combat unless Congress um, declares war through the constitutional process laid out in Article 1, Section 8, Clause 11. Which they haven't done since 1942. Yeah, yeah. since World War II. Haven't yeah. done it since. Um, and that kind of like... Um, kind of goes into like the whole, you know, free state... Um, you know, what we're trying to do is we see that there's no national solution, right? Um, there's nothing getting done in D.C. Um, there's no national solution um, through what we might consider the proper channels. So we got to bring it to the states. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're bringing it to the states. We're bringing Defend the Guard. Um, at least for the, you know, would love to be able to bring all the troops home, yeah. you know, active reserves. Um, but at least with the National Guard, um, the state has at least some control over them. So that's that's the avenue that we're trying to approach with that. And um, I, I met I met Tom at uh, New Hampshire Liberty Alliance. Um, it was like a uh, preparation session for for the upcoming legislative season. Uh, we were just kind of going over the like what to be expected from the budget battle and some other important bills that we'd be discussing and starting to look at. And um, I made a really quick presentation trying to look for sponsors for Defend the Guard because I wanted I wanted an all-veteran team because that would make the bill look best. It doesn't, doesn't make much sense for a veterans issue bill to be sponsored for people who aren't veterans. And that's where I met Tom, and that's where we become, like, awesome teammates yeah. here. <laughs> That was great. Uh, like the rest of the, so we have, uh, you know, John Petuchik's a, a vet, uh, Granger's a vet, and uh, myself. And uh, so Adjutant uh, was the Democrat on the bill. He actually had to step down because of like a medical issue from his work, but he was the Democrat making it a bipartisan bill. That, uh, so uh, Josh Adjutant, um, on the, it was like the was it the ten year anniversary, the beginning of the Iraq War, on the uh, House floor, did this uh, amazing uh, 
uh, unanimous consent speech where all he did, he just read the names of all of the fallen New Hampshire, the Grand Estaters that have, have, were died in the, the, the course of the Iraq war. And it's like, that thing touched me. Like, just, just reading the names, it's one of those, like, m- like, memorial things that, like, you know, I still think about it and it still gives me chills. I was just like, holy crap. It's like, that is super, super powerful. It's a, it's a real shame he had to step down. I hope, like, if he comes back, he seems to be like he'd be a force. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm not, like, one of those guys that just only roots for my team. Like, when there's good dudes on the other side, I'm willing to work with them, so. Yeah, a- absolutely. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a party man myself. Yeah. I want I want Liberty to win. And, um, you know, the, these Democrats, right, really hardcore progressives and everything, um, I think they're well-intentioned. We might disagree on strategy on how to achieve, like, the, these goals of um, essentially, like, human flourishing and, and um, people being safe and happy. Um we disagree on strategies, right? They, they want more government to achieve those ends, and we want less. Um, but there are so many single-issue coalitions that we can come together on. Um, a lot of, like, the, yeah, war. Um, a lot of the really hardcore um, progressive Democrats, um, they're our strongest allies when it comes to the war measure. I mean, um, Ron Paul's greatest ally was Dennis Kucinich. Yeah. Democrat, right? Um, so yeah, so um, yeah, real shame, Josh Agent. It's like yeah. I actually hope he he recovers and he comes back, um, is reelected. I mean, yeah. I'm sure cra- my leadership team doesn't like that. Yeah, like yeah. come back, but yeah. it's fine. <laughs> yeah, and um, you know, we, we we've had some other Democrat state reps um, reach out. Um, you know, I've reached out to them. They've reached out to me. Um, even some of them have come to Porkfest here to check things out because um, apparently, you know. Disagreements among among the the Democrat Party. Um, I know, like the leadership wants to have a really straight, narrow, top-down approach. Wants people to follow that party line. Um, you know, the Republicans don't necessarily have that issue as much, uh, but it's really um, evident with the the Democrat Party. Um, so when you have some some Democrat state reps that want to break away, um, it really upsets that that Democrat Party leadership. Um, but then when they become more polarized from their leadership, they start interacting with, with the, you know, the Liberty side where yeah. we, we agree on a lot of things already. We're just, you know, different party lines and everything like that. Or like I said, different strategies. Um, so they like Democrat state reps, they want to come see this dystopian nightmare. <laughs> that is pork fest. Um, I say that as I see, you know, children playing yeah. in the playground, dogs walking around, um, <laughs> people just having a good and peaceful time like almost everyone's armed it was really funny so um uh you know we did have a situation last night and um uh we had to have an aggressor right you know we believe in the, in the non-aggression principle and we don't believe in aggression and everything like that and we had an aggressor um enter our event here um and needed to be removed um so you know we you know did our thing and made sure that the law enforcement would come and take care of the situation and law enforcement needed to um, borrow a knife for a brief second and he asked does anyone have a knife and every there were about like 10 people there he goes does someone have a knife everyone raised their hand and said yes um, it was like a classic pork fest moment um, you know but they, they just goes to show you know we're, we're very 
peaceful community. We don't we don't accept people coming here to create violence. Yeah. Um, and, and we all work together to make sure that we have a safe environment here at Porkfest. Not, nothing bad happens. Um, this is my first time, yeah. and uh, I'm, I really? think I'm going to survive it. Yeah. yeah. I think I'm it's gonna, not I'm a dystopian make, nightmare. No, I think I'll no. make it till Sunday. No. Yeah. Uh, no. So I mean, like. Um, there's there's tons of of ways that we can work with our allies across the aisle. I mean, I say across the aisle. I'm undeclared. Huh? You're undeclared. Like, but really? For me, like for <laughs> yeah. my yeah, from yeah. my perspective, I would love like if we can. The, the problem is so okay. We can talk about the issues, yeah. right? Like the, so the, the problems that we're running into uh, at the state house is um, the uh, the adjutant general of the New Hampshire National Guard. You know, he's going to get some of his marching orders because he has a dual mission from D.C. from Pentagon uh, specifically, um, and they are pushing hard against this bill. Uh, the structure of the New Hampshire, like, uh, so we have our uh, DMARS is what it's called, is the Department of Military uh, of, was it, Affairs and Veteran Services. That's uh, like one big umbrella for everything. Veteran Services only recently in the last five years was kind of put underneath the Department of Military Affairs. Um, I'm, I'm still looking into this, trying to figure out the history on why, because the Veteran Services used to be more akin to like uh, Health and Human Services, because it's more like treating like elderly at, at the VA at the veteran homes and stuff like that. I don't know why it was put under the VA or under the Department of Military Affairs. And now uh, the Depar- the up in that group is uh, underneath the adjutant general is the um, it's the Veterans Advisory Council. They are like one of the. Uh, the, one of the organizations that my committee listens to more than any other. They take their advisement to heart because it, we are the Veterans Advisory Committee. Like, that's what we're there for. We're there to help veterans. Uh, and this Veterans Advisory uh, Committee has uh, not endorsed Defend the Guard. And my theory uh, is that the Adjutant General's office walked in there, put their thumbs on the scales, and told them, we're going to lose money if this Defend the Guard passes like we are going to lose money for the national guard federal money if this passes and that they're like oh okay uh, then we're against it it doesn't exp- i guarantee they didn't explain what the bill was supposed to do like what's behind it or anything i'm still researching the background behind it but there there has not been a veteran that i've met at, like across at asking any not just from new hampshire anywhere that is against this bill well, like i've spoken at, at my vfw i've spoken at the nashua uh, american legion uh, lots of people seem super engaged and they're really interested in to this like we've we're suffering through like we're moving into the third decade of just like never-ending war in my you know in my lifetime and it's like these old dudes are recognizing like holy crap this is never going to end like some of these guys went through vietnam like 10 years of war you know and most of them were just like happy that that ended so it's like it's hard to find it's impossible to find a veteran that is against this. The only people that are against it are the establishment types that are getting marching orders from the Pentagon. So that's where we're at. Like the committee currently has it retained and uh, we're trying, like I need to, uh, you know, figure out what's going on with the veterans services committee uh, or the veterans uh, advisory council. Sorry. The veterans advisory council. I would like to meet with them and just at least understand what they were told and then get them to back off that, uh, you know, non-endorse. Just all they have to do is just not take a position. And that'd be great. If they can do that, then I think it'll sail out of my committee with an ought to pass uh, recommendation. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is that huge conflict of interest having mm-hmm. having essentially our version somewhat of the VA being under 
essentially the Pentagon, right? Because yeah. the orders fall down through the tags office. Yeah. Um, because if, if that happened at the federal level, everything awful that happened from all the wars that the VA was exposing, like holy, like for example, like Agent Orange, like is, is anything like that, or the the burn pits in in Iraq and Afghanistan, like oh holy crap, this is like awful. This is something we put all, all our guys through. The, if if the if that had to be exposed via the uh, you know the Secretary of Defense his office, he, it just wouldn't. It'd never see the light of day. It would get buried with all of the failed uh, audits that <laughs> the Pentagon just has never passed. Uh, would you say something like a, a, um, an abused wife being attached to? Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's similar to like an abused wife who's trying to leave her husband, but has to ask him for the money to do so. That's basically what I'm talking about. Like if it, it, like a yeah an abused veteran's like oh well. Uh, Mr. Department of Defense, can I have some money for my treatment? Even though they, they're the one who gave them the black eye. Right. You know? Yeah. Um. So, yeah, it's, it's in the uh, State Federal and Veterans Affairs Committee, um, chaired by uh, Representative Mike Moffitt. Um, I actually really like Moffitt. I think he's a really good dude. Um, he's a, a Marine Corps veteran. He understands that he every time I, like I go make a presentation and he happens to be there, um, he like makes a point. He was like, uh, just just so everyone knows, the last time we constitutionally declared war was was 1942. Um, so he like, the no, he he understands it um, really well. And the last time I spoke at the uh, Merrimack County uh, GOP committee, um, he was there and he stood up and he he said. Um, it's been opposed by the Veterans Advisory Committee, mm-hmm. who is essentially the establishment. Yeah. He he said those words. He called them the the establishment. Yeah. There so are he, representatives from yeah. our federal delegation on there, like Chris Pappas and Custer. They have their own reps that are on that council as well. So like that's like they're supposed to be speaking out on behalf of veterans, but they could be just speaking just one more vote in favor of Lockheed Martin, you know, like yeah. instead of the veterans. Jeez. So yeah. it's it's just it, to me, it's a big. Uh, I think it's a conflict of interest on this specific bill like they're really great on all the other like everything that has to do with like veterans health and you know mental services stuff like that like they're really good they're great on those like they endorse all those bills but it's like this one is like so specifically like anti-department of defense and you can see that by their their recommendation to go against it they're literally spitting in the face in my opinion of veterans and, and active duty servicemen for what money for jets like what like even if the threat were true, like we're going to lose $400 million and that $400 million was like something in addition to the money that they'd spend on the deployment itself, making it a net zero um, if it got lost. Even if it was that, they're basically saying we value this $400 million more than the lives of the National Guardsmen. Yeah. And like, so one of the things that I, I plan on doing this fall, we're going to have another public hearing in September or October. If you follow me on uh, Mannion uh, for NH on Twitter or Derek Pru, yeah, Derek D E R E K underscore P R O U L X on Twitter. Yep. If you follow either of us on Twitter, we're going to retweet the crap out of it as soon as I get a date for this public hearing. I would love for any veterans, even if you if you're not a veteran, you have family that are veterans, or if you just really care about this issue, to make your way up to Concord because uh, Moffat wants to do another public hearing and he says he's going to go as long as it takes like he'll be there like till midnight if we have to and to hear everyone who wants to speak and what we need to do is show them the massive grassroots support behind this thing because when we have like 30 40 50 60 people show up and then they just got like two dudes representing the establishment and their talking points are money and i ask every person if they value money over the lives of the guardsmen like i think that's going to be a big selling point so the more people we have the better yeah 
Yeah, I mean, like, ultimately, it's like, how much is the life of, of a National Guard? So, I mean, that, exactly. that, that's a really good question to ask. Yeah. Um, if we're worried about them pulling, you know, subsidy money um, yep. from the New Hampshire Guard, okay, how much is the life of a guardsman? Yeah, is it worth $400 million? Right. Or how many guard guardsmen can you buy for $400 million? Right. Is that the trade we're going to do? Like, Yeah. Um, yeah, I, so... Yeah, Moffat. Um, again, he's just he's just really concerned about voting against the Veterans Advisory Committee. Yep. Um, I think he's starting to understand that those concerns are somewhat unfounded. Yep. Um, especially as we start building up a lot of this grassroots support, yep. right? Going to American Legions and VFWs and getting that word out, um, getting the, the New Hampshire ACLU on board. Um, Getting New Hampshire Peace Action on board, uh, run by Will Hawkins. He showed up to our, our first um, uh, testimony, first round of testimony mm-hmm. before it got retained. He was fantastic, and he actually approached it from a totally. Di- he's he's more of a progressive, um, and he approached it from like a totally different, out of left field direction. Caught me off guard, and something I never thought about. Um, talking about how it's not only that we're violating Article One, Section Eight, but we're also violating Article Six of the United States Constitution. Oh, the treaties. De- dealing with um, uh, international treaties that we've ratified in the United States. Um, I think it, it's Article 2 of United Nations resolutions. A United Nations member can't invade another. Iraq is, is a United Nations member. <laughs> and the United States is a United Nations member. But we're, we're, it's not a war. We're not really invading yeah. them. Yeah. yeah. It's just uh, it's an authorization for use of military force is what it is. And uh, Yeah, what a sham that is. Yeah. Too. Um, yeah, just briefly talk on, okay, um, so you, we, we want Congress to do its job and declare yeah. war before we send our National Guardsmen overseas. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, well, well, isn't an AUMF authorization for the use of military force, isn't that a war declaration? Nope. Um, not quite, because that kind of, the AUMF flips the head on the whole constitutional process, yep. because it is literally Congress abdicating its constitutional responsibilities mm-hmm. and just telling the president, oh, for for the end until the end of time, you may now go to war mm-hmm. wherever you want to, with whomever you want to, whenever you want to. It would be akin to like the president being able to rule something unconstitutional, like stealing that power from the Supreme Court or or the Supreme Court confirming other justices. Like it's it's one of those like the reasons that the, we have this uh, separation of powers is because the founders knew that the executive branch is the most likely to uh, want war. So the, the power to declare it should remain with the people in the legislature. And like the, the fact that these AOMFs exist basically say, uh, yeah, the president, you can do whatever you want. You can start this. You can not start it. You do whatever you want. We'll just we'll just print the checks. Like you, yeah. you can go anywhere you want. In the 2001 AUMF, like uh, the list of countries that we've invaded or drone striked uh, is, is huge. It's like in the like dozens, like yeah. like if, almost two dozen, I think, countries have been in, like blanketed under this uh, 2001 AUMF that has they've tried to vote it down like uh, repeal it and it just like dies like I think it got 10 votes in the Senate like this term like Rand Paul tried to like repeal the 2001 AUMF 10 votes to repeal it like so this is never going to end at the federal level yeah it, it, it really is well I mean Congress does not have any authority 
to yield its constitutional responsibilities. If you want to yield your constitutional responsibilities, guess what? You're going to have to pass a constitutional amendment that gets rid of that Article 1, Section 8, Clause 11 part of the Constitution, right? You need a constitutional amendment if you want to, you know, operate our foreign policy in this way. Yeah. Um, and yeah, of course, of course they don't want to get rid of it. Of course. They don't shoulder the blame anymore. Nope. It goes to the president. He's the one who's going to war with people, yep. not Congress. When, when, you're, when your sons or daughters come home in a box, you blame the president. You don't blame Congress who because right. de- they didn't actually declare anything. Yeah. They just said, oh, well, the president did it. They, that's what they say. I, I, didn't, you know, I didn't know he was going to invade Iraq. I just said that he could. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, dude. Um, and that just, you know, that... that the, the whole not following that the, the constitutional process ha- has just completely corrupted our country to its core. Yeah. Um, you know, through, through the, the, the Patriot Act and all that stuff. Yep. Um, and then also, you know, 90% drone strikes, mm-hmm. um, using our enemies and allies in different countries however we see fit. Yep. Um, essentially, just wherever we can line the pockets of, you know, the defense contractors, oh, that's, BAE, that's yeah. where we're going to do it. Um, I think that's the drive behind yeah. all of this. It's just like as soon as it, like, I mean, it's kind of forking, but it's like as soon as Afghanistan ended, it's like, oh, well, we're going to amp up in Ukraine. So it's just like, so Lockheed Martin doesn't miss a payday. Like, you know, they're just going to keep making missiles and stuff yeah. forever. It, it's going to be the same deal. And, it's like, and if Ukraine fizzles out, they're going to find a new conflict for on behalf of these defense contractors. And they're going to send our guardsmen there because they make up 40 percent of our deployed forces. And we're going to lose more dudes. Like, it, it, it's absolutely insane that this is, yeah. like, the, the foreign policy of the United States is just f- taking taxpayer money, handle, handing it to Ukraine, or, sorry, handing it to the defense contractors, <laughs> sometimes via Ukraine. And uh, the, 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 one, the one thing is, like, with the Ukraine situation, we're not, our, like, our boys aren't coming home in boxes, but eventually this is going to end. And they're going to need a new conflict. And then they're going to just send our guys. Whether it's like amp up in Syria, if like a McCain type gets in the White House, God forbid, we could go into Iran. Like who the hell knows? A lot of a lot of candidates um, are talking about invading Mexico to deal with cartels. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's so true. Another, another um, problem of our own making. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Through, oh, through the, you know, the Iran-Contras and, and fueling the drug wars oh, and yeah. all that stuff. Yeah, a problem of our own making. Yep. Um, and now we have to go solve that. It's like, um, you know, the Dave Smith, if you want to know who America's next enemy is, look at who we're funding right now, oh, yeah. that, that thing. Yep. Um, I mean, another thing that I'm, I'm really scared of is you have a lot of these, um, you know, foreign legions going into Ukraine to go fight for the Ukrainian military. Um, you're getting a lot of people who are on the extreme side of politics, um, really aggressive and extreme people, um, especially in Europe, where Europe does have a very, um, very real uh, migrant crisis that um, is really upsetting a lot of people. The migrant crisis started by the United States because of our conflicts in the imagine Middle East. Yeah. Um, yeah, imagine that. And um, so now we're, we're funding all, all these um, very aggressive, um, militant um very radical groups um, that are getting all this training, combat experience, equipment yep. in Ukraine. Where are they going to go once yeah. the war is over? Back to their own countries. Yeah. And, um, and who, who, you know, this worked really well when we did it in Afghanistan. Like when we filled, gave all those militants a whole bunch of weapons, and then 20 years later they were using them on us. Yeah, to go fight the Russians. Yeah. Or, the or yeah. we had like a one-year turnaround in Syria where we armed a bunch of rebels, and then they went and joined ISIS. That was like a one-year turnaround. That was like a hyper-speed United States policy. 
Um, yeah, I mean, so it, like it just goes back to like we created this problem yeah. with the cartels. We gave them all the weapons and the money that they needed yep. to become a problem, and now they're our big problem. And now we're going to go solve it by more weapons and, right. and more, you know, throwing more money at the problem. Um, but it, it, I mean, it just just all this nonsense just. You know the 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 uh, midnight no knock raids. Oh, yeah. um, the truth comes to light. Mm-hmm. All this stuff comes out eventually, and especially when a veteran realizes the 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 awfulness in the world um, that mm-hmm. has been perpetrated by the United States government and yeah. all of its cronies. Um, it messes with us. Yeah. It really does, and especially especially when when you've been in the shit. Yeah. Um, you know, I wasn't in combat, but I know plenty of people who were. Um, good yeah. good battle buddy of mine. He was in Afghanistan, and you know the the Bachabazi, the, mm-hmm. the Afghan child rape yep. culture. Oh, yeah. The yep. Taliban outlawed that practice, yep. but we were protecting the Afghan government, who was still accepting it. Yeah. And. They were, we were told don't don't mess with any Afghan soldier committing the act of Bachabazi. Yep. That's their culture. And he had to watch this Afghan soldier yep. you know, rape this little boy. Um, and Those then a few allies. a few days later, I mean this was a big story, a um, an Afghan uh, you know, teenage boy, he picked up an AK forty seven and he shot three Marines. Yep. And they actually ended up catching him, like, and putting him into custody. And he said, he did it because you were protecting my abuser. Um, And so you hear all these stories, and and, and a lot of people wonder why veteran suicide is such a big problem. And it it becomes so apparent when (laughs) you realize some some of the atrocities that have been committed across the globe. In the name of in the name of patriotism, which, yeah, which you, sucks. You join for patriotism. Yeah, they I, exploited my patriotism. Yeah, I am such a hardcore patriot. Yeah, and they and so many other people are, yeah. and they exploited that to commit these crimes. Yeah, and it, like I think it's it, once you realize it's like holy crap, I was, I was like I was duped, I was lied to, and then like you just feel like. To me, like, it made me angry, but some dudes are going to feel de- de- you know, depressed and they're going to go into a dark place. Like, to me, I got angry and motivated and, and, like, just that's, like, how I... It was a political awakening, but some people don't see a way out. They don't find Ron Paul. Yeah. And, and they... they, they and it, we suffer. We it, suffer yeah. as a community. And then we have the VA, the government solution to veterans' health care, and it's a numbers game, right? You go to the oh, VA, God. all these VA counselors that I mean, we, we have all this trauma mm. that, we, that we need to deal with, and for a lot of people, the VA is the only solution to deal with that, yeah. and it's a numbers game. You, yeah. like, a lot of VA counselors are told, don't spend more than 15 minutes with the patient. Yeah. Um, so it's like... It's because it's top-down, you know, big government mismanagement where it's like, you need to clear this many people a day. And it's just like, well, how do I do that? It's like, I don't care. You have uh, 15 minutes each, whatever. Like, figure it out. Top-down solutions. I've I've met countless um, former VA counselors that were fired because they cared about our veterans and they cared about their patients. And they spent more than that 15 minutes that was, that that was, was... um, mandated by the VA top-down system, the yeah. bureaucracy, because they want to churn out the numbers. Um, and 
you know, every time you have to meet with a new counselor, um, especially when you've gone through combat mm -hmm. and seen the horrors of war and are having to deal with these situations, um, you're opening wounds. You are opening wounds every single time, and people have to go back through those nightmares every single time. Yeah. When you have to go, you know, I mean, when you have the same counselor and over and over again, you don't have to go back that far. Yeah. Um, and just all these veterans that have to go through this process of, of reliving the things that, that keep them up at night, um, that sometimes they, they they take their life. Yeah. And I, I, they don't I, see any other I, yeah, way out. Yeah. There's just not any opportunities for them. I mean, I want to end on a positive note, though, because like one of the things, like if you can find a good community, like here at like the Free State, like this is the, like I understand that maybe you're not a libertarian or something, but like you could agree with at least like the anti-war stance. If you, if you feel like you were abused and that the government used you, you should reach out to us. You know, like what, like veterans groups are great. They're really, they'll be fantastic too. Some of those guys, like in veterans groups, some veterans group guys like feel just justified in what they did they're like oh i you know i served i did my thing you know and it's like they don't really understand the the, the questioning of what you went through like it's just like well were we the good guys like and it, some veterans will just shut that off they're like of course we were you know like they don't understand but it's just like there, there are guys there's lots of guys like me and like me and you that's just like uh we're not necessarily the good guys in these conflicts you know like it, it's not world war ii it's not us versus the nazis anymore it, it's not that it so and I, i'm i'm willing to admit it myself like i feel like uh, my patriotism was exploited by the government i was sent to the wrong place and it like once i admitted that you know i was able to move on and then improve myself you know like i found libertarianism and I, I knew i was gonna move to new hampshire someday and then it took lockdowns to make me actually do it but you know i, I found the free state project you know like six seven years ago it just took me a damn long time to you know, get off my ass yeah. <laughs> but that's it if you want to reach out like yeah yeah find, finding finding the community um especially amongst veterans you know you know ron paul um you know uh, had the highest percentage among among veterans um, during during both 2008 and 2012 elections. Um, veterans who, who've been through it, they understand. Um, and we have a lot of veterans in our free state, like a surprising a lot, a lot. And um, you know, they're looking to get involved. Yeah, you know, yeah. So. I mean, they feel exploited. Yes. Um, you know, a lot of people feel exploited in a lot of different ways um, with the government and the way that government treats people, um, but especially veterans when they're exploiting patriotism to commit um, just just awful things, um, de death and destruction across the world. Um, it really, you know, puts a fire in the belly. It makes oh, yeah. you really want to get stuff done. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, and, and, and again, thank you for coming to New Hampshire, Tom. No, I appreciate um, it, man. Make my home more free. <laughs> it was awesome. Um, you've been such an amazing partner um, with the legislature, uh, with Defend the Guard, and so many other issues. Um, and you've been a great activist. Thank you. You're everywhere you. that I am. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I go places, you're there. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so this has been, uh, you know, Free State Live here at Porkfest. Yep. Um, have a good night. Yep, see you.